DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in UVU men's basketball coach Mark Madsen. Coach, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me back on the show. Thanks for coming back on the show. Couldn't help but notice that this year was different for UVU. It was better. There was more winning going on. You're a little further up in the standings this year. Did it feel that way on the inside? Did it feel different? Did it feel better? I mean, it really did. It really did. I think we we had a little bit more of a chance to put in our system, install our philosophy, but, but really the players did, did a phenomenal job. The, the players bought in. The players worked. They, they put in the extra work in the summer. They're putting in the extra work now. It, it felt good to play games that, that really mattered. We just came back from Grand Canyon this last weekend, and, and we were playing games that, that had a huge bearing on the seating for the the WAC conference tournament in Vegas, and they just had a, a huge bearing on, on every part of our season. And so I'm proud of our players. I'm proud of how hard they worked. And, uh, you know, we have more work to do. So you, once you got that, uh, you got the first one uh, against Grand Canyon, and once you did, I believe you became the only WAC team that has beaten every single team this season in conference. With that in mind, you've got to be going to Vegas with a fair amount of confidence, I would think. Our guys are confident. Our guys know that if we play well, if, if we execute, if we do the things that we've been doing all year, we know that we have a chance to win it down there. We have a real legitimate chance to win the whole thing and go to the NCAA tournament. That being said, we, we have to execute. We have to do those things that have helped make us successful so far during conference. So it really feels like a couple of different seasons, Mark, because it started uh, it started pretty poorly, and you were two and five, and you'd had I think four games canceled in there. So you're playing sporadically, and when you do play, you're not winning, and so it could have all gone south, and yet it didn't. From two and five, you know, you you turned it around and went nine and five the rest of the way, nine and four in league. What was going wrong, and what turned it around to make things go right? Well, I think a few things early on, you know. Early on, we went through, I think, seven different quarantines. You know, we're showing up to play teams, and, and they're at full strength. And, you know, we're missing some key guys that were out with some serious COVID cases. And, and really, every team went through that. But it kind of, for some reason, it hit us at the start of the season. Um, and in a way, that, that was a positive because, you know, other guys were asked to do more on the court. And so that, that helped them gain experience. It helped them. <clears throat> have success and failure. So that going into conference, you're that much better and you're that much more able to, to make big plays when the game counts. Most teams, or at least a lot of teams anyway, are hitting the transfer portal hard. I think you guys hit a home run with uh, the, the players that you brought in. Just this, this first season, you had some others that were holdovers that were transfers. Uh, can you evaluate how that went for you? Was it better than expected? Well, recruiting is a huge emphasis in in, in our program. Um, you know, we kind of look at it. We kind of look at our program w- with a few different lenses. Number one, we want to recruit the very best players we can. Evan Cole from Georgia Tech. I mean, he fit the description perfectly. He had had a significant role at Georgia Tech, and you know, in watching the film, we said to ourselves. He, his game can expand, can continue to expand. And so he got here over the summer, and I think the thing that stood out about Evan was his work ethic. 
He always wanted to be in the gym shooting. He took care of himself. He got in the weight room. And so he's kind of an example of recruiting a high-level player and then putting a lot of work in on a player development uh, standpoint to, to continue to improve your game. You know, you probably don't see the gains on a day-to-day basis, but week-to-week for a player that works, you're going to see major gains. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, recruiting is a huge part of it. We, we want to recruit the best high school players in the state of Utah. We want to recruit the best transfers we can find, and we want to put together a competitive team every year. So one of the guys that uh, you brought in, uh, Fardaz Amak, if I'm pronouncing his name right, averaging 15 rebounds per game, not just leading the country, but leading the country by a couple of rebounds per game. Now, for a guy who's playing with the Lakers and wasn't exactly you know, the star player who had the shots run for him, or plays run for him to get the shots, because I guess Shaq and Kobe got a few more shots than you, uh, how much do you appreciate that? How much did you value that? How much did you know you were getting that when you went out to get him? Well, I think right when I took the job, you know, we, we sat down as a staff and we said, who's in the portal and who do we need to bring in? Because we had to bring in some players right away. And so as we, as we studied Fardaz, as we watched his tape, he was averaging about four or five rebounds in 13 minutes a game at Mercer. And so I watched the tape and I said, I, li- I liked everything I saw with Fardaz because I saw the soft hands. You know, I saw the speed, the agility. We brought him on a visit and at one point, uh, somebody threw him a, a lob pass. He caught it with one hand and, and laid it in. And I, I knew right away that, that Fardaz was special. But to lead the nation in rebounding by a huge margin, and, and by the way, some of the numbers that Fardaz is putting up rebounding-wise in terms of rebound percentage, the rate at which he's rebounding, have not been done in decades. Um, but he's done it through his hard work. He, he put the work in. Last year when he had to sit out, um, he was with Coach Phillips, Todd Phillips, who used to be at Salt Lake Community, working on his game almost every day, uh, film sessions, I mean, I mean everything. And, and his, his work has propelled him to the next level, and he's a huge part of the success that UBU has had this year. So you're going to get the uh, winner of uh, Rio Grande Valley, New Mexico State, you swept the Rio Grande Valley, and they had the tragedy with the coach. New Mexico State has been a power uh, around basketball, really, going back before the league, but we know that they've been a very good program. You split two close games with them. How do you handicap what's potentially ahead? Well, you have to prepare for both teams. Yesterday we brought the guys in. We watched a film breakdown on, on New Mexico State. We watched a film breakdown on UTRGV. And so you have to be ready for both. And in terms of uh, the on-court preparation, you know, you try to find those areas that apply to both teams. And in this case, there's probably two or three things that that we're really going to focus on today and tomorrow for sure that that apply equally to to both possible opponents. And and then you drill in even more. And and then you kind of get more specific with it and you – you know, you, you have to, if you put in the preparation and the hard work early in the week, th- then when you get to that game, you can go out there with confidence because you know that the preparation, the hard work, and the, and the due diligence is all done. And now you have to go out there and execute. 
So there have been a lot of things that have changed this year. Uh, we've seen some leagues still play home and home, but a lot of leagues have gone to play in two games trip, cut down the travel and all that. Uh, obviously, recruiting has changed. There have been, probably been other changes along the way, more online classes. How much of this stuff is just kind of one-off for the pandemic and it'll go back to quote-unquote normal? And how much of this do you think is altering college basketball and is going to be the new way of doing things? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I'm sure, you know, around the country, a lot of budgets are down. A lot of athletic department budgets are down. And so the, the cost savings of playing a back-to-back are huge. Because you cut down on travel, you, have to, you, you, you don't have to switch hotels, fewer flights. But it, it does take a toll on the players. Um, you know, every coach wants to win. <laughs> and in back-to-backs in the NBA, you know, you have, you have a whole staff that's dedicated to the physiological performance and the load management is the buzzword in the NBA front office, load management. It, you know, in college, we don't have the load management experts. And so, you know, shoot, we played our top six or seven guys at times 25 to 35 minutes on back-to-back nights. That's hard to do. That, that, that's really, really hard to do, especially in college basketball, where in college basketball, every minute is, is played with the utmost intensity. Sometimes in the NBA, early in the game, the guys might be coasting a little bit just because there's so many games. But uh, I think it's about the well-being of the players um, on, the, on the scheduling standpoint. And then from the recruiting point of view, we still can't go out physically to recruit players. And now it's been pushed back until May 31st. And so that's been a challenge. And I think all of us are excited to get that window back open and get out there and, and be sitting down with these recruits face-to-face. I want to ask you a question as far as the psychological aspect of working the referees. And I wanted to relate it to what the Jazz went through last week. You know, they felt like they got jobbed against Philadelphia and Gobert and Mitchell come out with very, very strong post-game comments. They both get fined twenty and $25,000. You know, you played so many years in the NBA. Now you're a coach. Do you see benefit in what those players did, even with the fines that maybe could send the message, uh, we want more of a fair shake? <laughs> I think that's the age-old question for, for a coach, for a player, because sometimes you want to get your point across. I'll never forget, I was playing for the Timberwolves, and we were up 30 points at, at Dallas. And the Dallas coach, who was Rick Carlisle at the time, he was so upset, he got thrown out. And, and uh, I remember talking to one of the refs, and the ref said, yeah, w- we made a few mistakes. Well, the calls shifted to Dallas, and they ended up winning that game. Really? You know, and we had been up 30 in the second quarter. But on the flip side, referees are humans too. And the people in Secaucus, the, the, the referee supervisors, they're human too. And you know, I'll never forget another time on the court when in minute I was playing for the Timberwolves again, and some of the players, some of our players, we're jawing at the refs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden the refs started jawing back at the players, which you never see. You, 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 in those days, you never saw the refs jawing back at the players. And then all of a sudden we started getting a bunch of horrible basketball calls. We, we started getting a bunch of really bad calls. And in my mind I'm thinking, hey, guys, refs are human too. If you go at the refs too much, sometimes, 
it, it can get a little bit personal, and sometimes they might go back at you. You know, what we like to think of referees as being perfectly neutral, just like we think that, you know, print journalists and, and, and radio journalists are completely neutral, but everyone has a human side, yeah. you, you, you know, and so I don't have a good answer for it. So I don't know. <laughs> You know, you tell those stories, and it reminds me of Rudy Gobert going off a couple of years ago on the referees after a call went against him at the end of a game in Miami. And in the next game, with a different set of referees in a different city, he got called for a foul on the jump ball and got kicked out three <laughs> minutes into the game. Now, you have played and coached a lot of basketball. Have you ever seen a foul on the opening tip? I've, I've actually never seen that. Yeah, yeah. Rudy has. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough way to go out. That's a tough way to go out early in the game like that. Oh, man. Are you surprised with the just the advent of number of threes that teams take now? I mean, just from the time that you played, which is not that long ago, the, the, the radical differences that we've seen. Well, you know, I, I've seen, I haven't been able to follow the NBA as much as I want to because, uh, yeah. you know, we're busy. But I, but I have seen the headlines of the quantity and the accuracy of threes that the Utah Jazz are hitting. Uh, it's, it's record setting. And, and in my mind, you know, I'm thinking to myself, how were the Warriors, how, how did the Warriors not set these records two and three years ago with the team that they had? But it's, it's, it's a compliment to the Jazz organization to realize that this is the way the game is going. Now, the interesting thing is, in college, we're not, it, it, it has hit the college game and it hasn't. You know, we, pl- we basically played Grand Canyon this last weekend for the conference championship in terms of the regular season. And, uh, you know, we ended up tied. But they start two seven-footers. We start two 6'11 guys. You, you know, more traditional, a little bit more traditional to start two big guys. In the NBA, almost no one does that. A- and yet, you know, it's some college teams are doing that and having success. I think the shooters in the NBA are obviously the best in the world, and so it allows that the analytics philosophy to play itself out a little bit more. If you have seven guys on a roster that are shooting close or over 40%, well, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. I wonder how quickly this is going to swamp you, though, because you are subject to the talent that's available. And PK and I have had some people on who are either ex-coaches or um, – you know, parents coaching, and they're telling, or in case of Steve Cleveland, grandparents, uh, and they're saying that, like, if you watch 12- and 13-year-olds play, and I don't think you're scouting 12- and 13-year-olds, but he said, like, they don't, those kids aren't getting into the analytics where Quinn Snyder is saying eliminate the long two because here's your percentage and here's how many points you're going to score off 10 possessions and look what you do at the lay, look what you do at the rim, look what you do at the line, and look what you do at the three-pointer. If you want to score a lot of points, so shoot from there. But these 12- and 13-year-olds, like, they understand it, and they want to shoot off the dribble because they see Steph Curry do it. And so it's like the game is just evolving, and, and Steve has told us it's like at lightning speed. And part of it is planned and organized and taught, but part of it is kids imitating what they see. So you may not be starting two seven-footers for long. I mean, if you get the talent, then you play it, and there's always something to be said for going against the grain and playing a different style. That can be hard for opponents. But at the same time, you're subject to the talent that's available. Well, and that's, and that's one of the big things that we talk about. If, if, if we could go out and recruit and have on this team six guys that shot 42% from three, that our style would be different. Mm-hmm. But going back to the Utah Jazz, they've almost done it perfectly on both sides of the ball. Okay, now, 
they still have to win it. I mean, you look at the Houston Rockets from four years ago where they were a three-point shooting machine. They missed, and you guys can correct me, I think they missed either 17 or 27 straight three-point shots against the Warriors. You guys remember that game? Yeah. Yeah, it it was terrible. (laughs) It's just unraveled. that's, That's the discussion that every NBA staff and every college staff, this is talked about because the analytics department will go down to an NBA coaching ops and say shoot more threes and, and so a lot of times it works but then sometimes in the playoffs sometimes it still works but sometimes it doesn't because sometimes you have to get to the rim to get to the free throw line as great a shot as the three-point shot is analytically if you're a 70 percent free throw shooter which is okay even if you're a 65 percent free throw shooter from an analytic standpoint that's almost equivalent to, to, you know, and you can go through the math of a 40, 43% yep. three-point yep. shooter. And so if you're, if you're shooting all the threes at the detriment of getting to the free throw line, that's a problem. And you're right, it was 27 straight missed threes for the Warriors in, or for the Rockets in Game 7 to take down the Warriors. Yeah. They got right there and couldn't do it. All right, well, Mark, hopefully you will get the right there and you will pull it off. We'll be watching the WAC tournament uh, to see how it works. You don't, you don't play until Friday because uh, you got to buy. It's a six-team tournament, and you'll be in the semis on Friday. Good luck with that, Mark, and thanks for coming on the air with us for a few minutes. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on it. And tell Randy Ray I said hello. He's done a great job up at Weber State. He's done a fantastic yep. job up there. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. Take care.